You're listening to Getting Lit with Linda Mora, the podcast where we welcome you to get lit. Canadian lit, that is. Join Linda as she talks about authors in Canada and sometimes with them, using her expertise to shed some light on recent and not-so-recent writers. And now, get ready for Getting Lit with Linda. Hi, this is Linda Mora, the writer and host of Getting Lit with Linda. When I first started on this podcast in 2020, I really didn't know it would be five years in the running. What I did know was which podcasts out there I really admired. And one of these is the Spoken Web podcast. Don't worry, my dear listeners, about whether you're familiar with this podcast, because that's in large measure what this episode is about today. For now, I'll say that one of the reasons I really like this podcast is that it bears upon one of my several passions, my abiding love for all things archival. To explain more about what this podcast does and how it relates to the study of literature in Canada, I invited Dr. Catherine McLeod to come and speak to me about her involvement in Spoken Web and about how her own research relates to the project. Dr. McLeod is a scholar of sonic approaches to literary studies. She's published on poetry and literary performance in Canada, feminist sound studies, radio and dance archives, and she's developed a research creation practice that combines poetry and dance. Currently, she's an assistant professor, limited term appointment, in the Department of English at Concordia University, where she teaches a variety of courses on CanLit contemporary literature, and as of this coming year, a graduate course on podcasting. You heard that right, in case any of you were interested in pursuing this as an area of study. Catherine does research related to radio archives, and that in part informs her book, Radio Poetics, Feminist Listening to Poets on CBC Radio, under contract with Wilfrid Laurier University Press, as well as her participation as a founding member of the podcast through which Spoken Web disseminates its research. There are a number of links to this episode's show notes to direct you further to its many resources, and you may want to check out my earlier episode in Season 4, Episode 48, for which I conducted an interview with poet and professor Dr. Jason Camlot, who also happens to be, by the way, the director of The Spoken Web. The Spoken Web podcast, which began in 2019 and is now in its fifth season, is co-hosted by Dr. Catherine McLeod and Dr. Hannah McGregor of Simon Fraser University. This podcast releases an episode once a month, each one produced by Spoken Web researchers and explores a variety of topics related to literary audio. It asks the question... What does literary audio sound like? And since Catherine's work focuses so much on women writers in Canada, I was able to sit down with her for this episode and ask her, among other questions, what does women's literary audio sound like? This is my interview with Dr. Catherine McLeod. Hi, Catherine, and welcome to Getting Lit with Linda. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much, Linda. It's a real pleasure to be on the show. I'm kind of excited. I'm a bit of a fan. And so I really want the listeners to know why the Spoken Web is so amazing. 
So let's start by talking a little bit about what the spoken web is. Well, spoken web is the sound of literature. I love that. When we think about what is the sound of literature, you can imagine that there would be so much that you could study if you were studying the sound of literature. And so that's why Spoken Web, sometimes we refer to it as a project, but really it's a research program mm. uh, that's uh, funded by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council, often known as SHRC. Mm. And that funding body uh, has a category called Partnership Grant, and Spoken Web is funded by this partnership grant, which means that it's a project or research program that has collaborators across Canada at various universities and even at universities beyond Canada. And I say research program because when studying the sound of literature, there are so many projects under that larger umbrella. Mm. So thinking about what does literature sound like on recordings of poetry readings or events or interviews, but then also what does literature sound like really as sound. What is the sound of the voice? What does it mean to be listening to literature as opposed to reading literature? What is an audiobook? What is a podcast about the sound of literature? <laughs> and how can we explore research questions on that? What is the process of understanding the metadata about recordings of literature? What are the stories that are go on behind the scenes and the oral histories? So as, as I go on, you can hear that mm. there are so many different research directions under Spoken Web. So as I chat with you today, please know that if you head to spokenweb.ca, you will find out even more about the research program. And what I'm going to say today is probably only going to just be the really uh, scratching the, the audible surface of, <laughs> of, uh, of Spoken Web. It's really such a multifaceted um, network. So I note that you say that it's a Shirk-funded national program. Mm -hmm. So what I'll do for the listeners is create a link in the show notes so they can go and look up both Spoken Web and Shirk and mm -hmm. find out more information if they want. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, I note that you have a mug in front of <laughs> you. My listeners can't see this, so I'm yes. going to describe it to them. It's a mug that says Spoken Web and then underneath Spoken Web, it says shortcuts. The interior is orange. It's a beautiful mug. I'm coveting it right now. <laughs> What's shortcuts? Well, shortcuts is a shortcut as I tap my <laughs> mug to create a bit of a cut sound. It's a deep dive into a shortcut of archival sound. And it's short episode, we call them mini-sodes um, to start with, that airs on the Spoken Web podcast. And it began as a way to do this close listening to an archival clip. At the time, I was curating what we called the ghost reading series here at Concordia, where we would re-listen to an archival recording and really think about what it means to be listening to that recording together. So and so cool. I was really like digging into the recordings that were part of the Sir George Williams poetry series. As a side note, those are the recordings that in many ways started Spoken Web, and we'll put some links to the show notes if you want to hear that story of that box of tapes. But <laughs> fast forward back to the ghost readings, I was doing a lot of listening with those recordings. And when thinking about what kind of content we could bring to the podcast to have like this little short episode in between the longer episodes, we thought about what if I did this short close listening. Mm -hmm. And at first they were just short episodes, but then I came up with the idea of calling it shortcuts. And uh, <laughs> um, they, they really are shortcuts of audio. There are some various shortcuts on other podcasts. And so it is does seem like a bit of a format to kind of do a little, a little short take uh, of audio. 
And these shortcuts really developed into a way to do a real close listening. But also what I found was that when listening to the, these shortcuts of audio, you could really sit with the sound. And mm-hmm. a podcast is you know, a great way to really be close and intimate with the sound of a recording. And I found that the recordings that I selected, really in the, the first two seasons, I didn't state it outright, but I actually selected only women poets. And so Why it was, um, I felt like it was, it was a feminist act because I thought, well, these recordings, there is some, there's a responsibility as a curator in what you select and what you decide is going to be showcased on the, on this podcast. And I thought, well, in the Sir George Williams series, it's not, it's not a feminist series in any extent. There, there were way more men who read in it than women, but the women poets who read are just fascinating and their voices are so captivating. So poets like Gwendolyn McEwen, Phyllis Webb, the American poet Marilla Rukeyser, who I absolutely love as a result of mm. uh, selecting clips of her voice, Maxine Gad, Margaret Atwood, the voices of those women poets just, mm. again, really, really were captivating. Um, and so I've gone on to then, now we're in our fifth season of Shortcuts, along mm. with fifth season of the podcast. And it's it's also evolved into a way to not just listen to an archival clip, but also talk about what we're listening to. And um, I've made it much more conversational in these past episodes, which also does stem from the feminist practice, I think, of Mm -hmm. listening and actually attending to what is difficult and what is actually affecting you (laughs) as a listener. What and, And not just sort of moving on, but thinking, oh, wait, what what did I really feel while I was listening to that? And then to be able to talk to somebody about it also feels like a, a way of responding to it. So it's become much more conversational in these past seasons. So I like the idea of deep listening and deep listening in relation to women poets. You've already referenced several of them. Mm-hmm. I'll make sure that, again, the listeners have links so that they can look up some of the writers you've been suggesting and are and are very clearly passionate about and enthusiastic about. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we could think a little bit more about the idea of being affected. So you were pointing toward your body and suggesting how the sound mm-hmm. of voices affect you. And of course, I'm also thinking about affect, mm-hmm. the kind of emotional valences that that are found or mm-hmm. located in the archive. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about maybe a personal experience in relation to doing that kind of work? I feel like, as and as I say this, I do lift my hands up uh, <laughs> as I'm speaking, uh, that I would find that there was a phrase that I started using when making shortcuts in which I would say, I would say that it's almost like you're holding the sound. And every time I did it, I had mm. to hold something with my hands or I had to, I, I had my hands outstretched. And it felt very much like, what does that mean to think of like holding the sound with your arms outstretched? And this was something that I started to think about in making an episode about a recording of Dion Brand that was from 1988. And here we can think about just the vastness of the kinds of collections, audio collections that Spoken Web is working with across Canada, because this particular collection was from 
a series of recordings that were from the Radio Free Rainforest radio show out in Vancouver with mm-hmm. Co-op Radio, and mm-hmm. they were then deposited at SFU's Library and Archives. And so that's just one among many. So we, we won't dive quite into that collection, <laughs> but just to point to that's one among many of Spoken Web's vast audio collections that researchers are starting to listen to and really amplifying the, the recordings that are there. So there was this recording of Dion Brand from 1988, And it was a recording of a reading that she had done in Vancouver with Lee Maracle. And the recording quality is... I didn't know she had done a recording. Excuse me for interrupting. I didn't know she had done a recording with Lee Maracle. Dion Brand. Yes. Okay. Listeners, if you don't know again, Dion Brand and Lee Maracle, we'll put a link in your show notes. You must know these writers. Yes. And that was how I felt when I discovered that recording. And I thought... Just the fact that these two writers were together at this reading and what's fascinating too about the recording is you can really hear the audience and Mm. it just feels like such a warm room. Like it feels like when I said like outstretching my hands and like holding the sound, it feels like that room, that space where the reading took place is holding the sound with support and with care. And one of the things about that recording, though, is the quality is not very good. There's this Mm -hmm. kind of sound that starts to happen throughout, and you're not really sure if you're hearing a car going by outside, or is that the tape, or what's what's going on there. But but their voices Mm -hmm. really rise, and the recording itself is just so valuable to think of that space of those women gathering to listen to each other, let alone the audience that was there too. And they do have this look, beautiful back and forth in the, the recording. You hear Lee Miracle laugh yeah. so many times, which is just <laughs> worth it in and of itself. And so when exerting a clip from that recording, it felt like more than any recording I'd worked with at, up until that point, but I'd also, I'd been thinking about this question throughout, but really like, what does it mean to take something out of context? And with that recording, it felt so much like that room and the the energy, the support that the poets were giving to each other in that room. It felt like that's when I outstretched my hands because it felt like, okay, to take that audio out of context, it felt like I wanted to do that as carefully as possible. So that's really when I started thinking about shortcuts as what I would call unarchiving carefully. And I'm thinking there about like unarchiving in the sense of taking something out of the archives, but then also it's being performed again and thinking about the way in which the reperformance of that that audio can gesture to its original context or take that into account and sort of how to do that as carefully as possible. I love the idea of sound as being embodied. Mm-hmm as if it had this kind of weight to it, mm-hmm. which is what your, yeah, your gesture yeah. with your hands. Yeah, and um, often that weight too, that the way we feel that weight in sound is the emotion that it mm-hmm. creates in us as listeners. Often listeners will know the poet or know the reader quite well. And so this is something else I've been thinking about in, in making these shortcuts is what does it mean to take a voice out of context, but also know that many of the listeners who have been engaged in Canadian literature, (laughs) literary studies in Canada more broadly, often have quite close relationships with the Mm -hmm. writers and are their friends. And Mm -hmm. so what does it mean to hear that voice out of context in, in the context of 
especially some of the voices like, well, Lee Miracle and also Phyllis Webb, both writers who passed away around the same yes. time and um, yes. in uh, just a couple of years ago. And so it feels like there's a, a responsibility in thinking about that emotional weight of, of the archive. Mm. I love that. I love that a lot, actually. I, I know for a fact that you work on CBC Radio, the history of CBC, and on women writers. Clearly that has a bearing on Spoken Web. Could you speak about the relationship between the two? Yes, definitely. In fact, it was when I was a postdoctoral fellow at the Trans-Canada Institute at the University of Guelph, working with Smaro Cambarelli, when I learned about Spoken Web. We should say Smaro Cambarelli is a professor of Canadian literature who is now at the University of Toronto, but was at the University of Guelph when clearly you were undertaking this. Yes, and it was just at the end of her time leading the Trans-Canada Institute there. And I was doing a postdoc that was about broadcasting Canadian literature and thinking about particularly the CBC program Anthology, which was a program that aired from 1954 all the way to 1985. So really a long running program that broadcast poetry, fiction, uh, and in fiction thinking short fiction, excerpts of novels, sometimes clips of music. And uh, this program really was in many ways, a making of Canadian literature on the air. Mm. And so I was thinking about that program and thinking about it, the archives of that program as literary archives. And at the time, I knew that they, you know there was interest in sound studies and thinking about multimedia performances of Canadian literature. But when I found out about Spoken Web, I thought, wow, there's other people interested mm-hmm. in the sound of literature and studying it. It's just, this exactly. is fantastic. So I came to Concordia University as a postdoc then. It was my second postdoc with Spoken Web and started working with the director of Spoken Web, Jason Camlot. And it was at that point that we started planning a conference that then became the book that is called Canlet Across Media, Unarchiving the Literary Events. We'll so put a link my, for that yeah. in the show notes as well. So mm-hmm. my uh, my use of the term unarchiving before was a little shout out to that book. And that experience with being connected with researchers of, of Spoken Web who were interested in literary sound, it was really a way to then think about the work that I was doing on radio archives through broader questions of listening. And, you know, I was very focused on maybe historical moments in Canadian literature and what that sounded like in radio archives. But to then ask, like, what does it mean to listen to the radio archives Mm -hmm. themselves and like what is that materiality of the sound and what are we really listening to and what is literary listening those were the kinds of questions that Spoken Web was asking and it was really such a vibrant and really collaborative way of of approaching of approaching the sound of literary studies and at that point Spoken Web was still very Concordia based it hadn't Mm -hmm. yet expanded Mm -hmm. to its larger network as it is today but but it really was the place to connect with other researchers who were interested in the sound of literature. So Shortcuts was born. (laughs) Yes yes way back I remember that I had just been in Montreal for a couple months and Spoken Web organized an event in which the poet Daphne Marlet came to Concordia to do a reading in which she was reading and then also she listened back to a recording of herself reading mm. at 
what was then Sir George Williams, which is now Concordia. And that was a recording that was part of the Sir George Williams poetry series. So we had this performance that was Marlott reading and listening to the recording of herself reading. And just that that event in and of itself, in many ways, was like a an early, early inspiration mm-hmm. for something like Shortcuts, where mm-hmm. you do a really an immersive deep dive into the archives and also think about that both the proximity to sound, but also the distance from it and almost how you become a performer in your act of listening. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So, Catherine, you've talked a little bit about your research. You've talked about shortcuts and the spoken web. Do you have favorites? Oh, of a spoken web podcast episode? Yes. Well, <laughs> it is. Is that is that unfair? <laughs> is that an unfair question? <laughs> this is, uh, and I I'm gonna say I I'm gonna not allow myself to choose a shortcuts because we've we've talked about that. Listeners are gonna get links. They can listen to to, to episodes of shortcuts. Well, it's an interesting moment to answer this question because I've been working with Jason Camelot and Hannah McGregor, who's been my, well, has been co-host and co-collaborator for the Spoken Web podcast since its beginning. And we've been thinking about what would it sound like to think about some of these episodes as scholarly publication mm-hmm. and going beyond, right now they are scholarly podcasts in and of themselves as podcasts, but what if we revisited some of these episodes? So I've been thinking back over the past five seasons and thinking, okay, well, what did one episode do really well? What then another? So I'm, episodes that come to mind are an episode on the Women in Words conference and various events around that, which took place in the early 1980s mm. in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And the Women in Words archives are held at a Simon Fraser University. And the episode that is about the Women in Words archives really does a great job of using the format of the podcast episode as a place to really engage with what is most difficult about this archival work and so it's actually called archives are messy and so are we and love it love it uh, and uh, the the messiness is is really fantastic because Candace Sharon and Kate Moffat who produced the episode really that you hear them talk about like listening to a recording and then saying wait like can what was that and who was that and how do we figure out who was speaking and I'll just all the the messiness that comes with with a very complex archive like that one so I I do really love that episode and I will say I have made a number of the episodes for the podcast yes. so yes, uh, some that. Yes. That, uh, so when I think back to the episode how are we listening now that I made with Jason Camelot mm. during the pandemic and it was really our way of engaging with the state of not being able to go to literary events in the pandemic but also mm. realizing mm. that the way that we were communicating and really listening to each other had changed so much and uh, that episode we then collaborated on a rewriting of it for a journal article. And so I, I also, I just like the way that some of the podcast episodes have also transformed into other other formats. And then lastly, I would just say that really, if listeners are interested in thinking about where to start with the podcast, the podcast intentionally doesn't 
sound the same from episode to episode. Mm-hmm. We try to have every episode um, sound quite different. And Why do you do that? So it comes from the fact that actually every episode is produced by different producers. So the episodes are produced by different researchers from the Spoken Web Network. So sometimes the producers might be graduate students who uh. maybe have never made a podcast before or a researcher who is collaborating with a graduate student or pr- sometimes they're made by really expert sound makers. And mm-hmm. so then you can really hear the, the the production quality in those. But I think some of the best are made by first-time podcast makers. Mm-hmm. And so when you're looking at the various episodes, you might notice that this, one's, this one talks about the environment in relation to the Okanagan wildfires. And then another one that is thinking about labor behind the scenes of archives and what that means and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And another one might be more of a close listening to a particular poet's work and interviews. So there's really such a range. And so I invite listeners to to really dive in, scroll through, explore the, the episodes, and to know that they, they are made by researchers who are trying to think through research questions in the form of a podcast. And know that what you're listening to is really the process of researchers working through what it means to be doing scholarly research on audible materials. Catherine McLeod, I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today on Getting Lit with Linda. That was terrific. Thank you, Linda. And that was my interview with Catherine McLeod. Please join me again, my listeners, in just a few days when I send my holiday greetings to everyone and give you a little advance information about what to expect for season five. We have a few surprises ahead of us. For the moment, thanks again for listening. As always, my dear listeners. That was Getting Lit with Linda, hosted by Linda Mora. If you have a topic you would like to hear covered, write to us at gettinglitwithlinda at gmail.com. Until next time, we hope you continue to get lit. 